Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on the Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. You can listen to us there, or you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast needs met. Today in the house, we have Anthony Rutgazer. Anthony is the creator of First Hero Comics. Uh, He's also a a wrestling announcer, former professional wrestler, but he's mainly here to promote his Kickstarter for a new comic project he's got going on called Heroes of Homeroom C. Mm -hmm. Today's the last day of the Kickstarter, so get out there and donate because we really want uh, this project published. It's uh, it's very, very innovative. It uh, features African-American heroes, right, Anthony? Yeah. Oh, it's... It's going to be published. Awesome. Uh, the, the, the Kickstarter was fulfilled. The, the funding goal was met uh, 17 days in with another two weeks on the clock. But uh, don't think that means that you don't have to donate. Oh, no. We still I mean, want... Uh, yeah, listen, meeting the funding goal isn't the be-all and end-all. I mean, the more money we can bring in, the more money people pledge, uh, the more people that get their eyes on the product, the better. And with more money, we can do more. Hmm. Some of that money will go be going back into perks for uh, people who back us. And then, you know, the majority of it will be going towards the, the art team. My uh, penciler, Carlos Granda, and my letterer, colorist, Fred C. Stressing. So, uh, yeah, the more we take in, the better it is for them because uh, – you know, everybody likes to sleep indoors and eat off plates. So, totally, totally. So money is good. So tell the people about uh, Heroes of Homeroom C. I, I really uh, liked from what I saw of it. Yeah, uh, the premise is kind of simple. Twin 12-year-old superheroes lose their powers and their parents send them back to public school. So, uh, you know, it's uh, how do they deal with the loss of their powers and how do they deal with this new... Uh, this new life of being regular kids. Uh, but of course, you know, for story purposes, not having their powers doesn't mean they're not going to get into all kinds of action and intrigue. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, whenever I get to this part in telling 
the uh, talking about the book, I always think, am I revealing too much? But I know that on the Kickstarter itself, I actually mentioned this, but the thrust of this story, this volume, is that there is another kid who's new in town, a 12-year-old sorcerer who wants nothing more than uh, his parents have just gotten divorced, which is why he's moved to this town with his mother. And all he wants to do is get back home to live with his father. Uh, so he has some plans. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think the thing that I like about comics right now is like, there's books like super sons Mm -hmm. and and things like that, Mm -hmm. that like, really are in sort of the same vein where you have like the kid heroes yeah. and you know facing kid villains like in super sons it's the son of batman and the son of superman against like kid amazo and like yeah. kid versions of like their greatest villains so your comic sort of sort of fits in that track and it's a really good book so yeah i um one of the problems that i have with mainstream comics however okay is that there's little innovation in characters now right. uh, when you talk about the the big two publishers you're talking about um companies with 50 60 70 year histories so they have they're long past the tentpole stage right you know well let's just say that they have they're established characters, and it's not just that they're characters, that they're, they're brands. They're product brands. So instead of coming up with new characters regularly, they're branching off of those characters. So, right, and any innovation that happens has to happen within the parameters within the of those characters. But. Yeah. So, you know, you have Superman, and then you have older Superman or Superman Superman who's married or three different Superboys or Supergirl or Superwoman or there. And now the Superman of China is, is one of their titles. It's great, but why not have a superhero for China without trading on the Superman name? Right. In the seventies, if you if you watch television in the seventies, every sh- every TV show that got successful was used as an on ramp for new TV shows. So, you know the the great example of crowbarring a character into a show for one episode and then giving them a, their own series is Robin Williams as Mork. Yeah, Mork was a character on Happy Days. And they did one or two episodes of Mork on Happy Days, and then he got his own series. Yeah. So if Mork is a good character, I don't need it crowbarred into Happy Days, man. But that happens in comics all the time. Like Star Lord has a solo title right now, and like yeah, but Star Lord was a character on his own. Right. Star Lord right. was a character created in the early seventies. Right. And and what I'm saying is, instead of having Batwing. Right, be a uh, a be a, a, a an African version of Batman. Batman. <laughs> Why not just have an African hero? Right, Captain Africa. I don't care. But Marvel seems to do a better job though, because don't they like they have created new characters? Marvel before. doesn't. Marvel doesn't. See now, I, I listen. Here, here's me burning the bridge before I cross it. Okay? <laughs> okay. Marvel doesn't do a better job. Okay. Marvel does not do a better job. 
because you have two titles right now. You have infamous Iron Man and uh, in, in, is it Invincible Iron Man? Yeah. Which I'm reading, actually. Right. I, like, I like Bendis. I'm reading, and I, I like the character, Riri right. Williams. Hmm. Um, but her character is actually called Ironheart in the book. She calls herself, she's named herself Ironheart. Mm-hmm. But the book is still called Invincible Iron Man. So it's like Man. a new character, but not a new character. Like Miss Marvel it's is a, still. It's a, it's, a new, it's a new character, but it's trading almost completely off of. To, like, I mean, there's 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 a, a, a digital version of Tony Stark in the book. Right. Yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the other title, Infamous Iron Man. I, I, like, I mean, I, I like Invincible Iron Man. I right. like the Riri Williams character. I want to, I'm, I'm reading it and I want to read more. I'm eager for the next issue. I'm also eager for the next issue of Infamous Iron Man. It's Victor Von Doom it, reformed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's got some Tony Stark armor and he's mixing his magic with it. And he's trying to, uh, he's trying to, uh, walk a new path as a hero. Right. Um, so even if you have a new character, it's still trading off the name of the old character. Yeah. How can we, let's get a new version of, uh, we'll, we'll get a female Thor. We'll get a, a young female Captain America. We'll get a black spider. A different version of Ms. Marvel. Different, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, well, the, the Ms. Marvel is, Slightly different in that it's using an established name, but I don't think the character has much. No, they're much to do with. Yeah. So that's, I find that one slightly different. Other than the fact that like she got her, she's an inhuman because she got her powers from. Yeah. Yeah. And again, great book, but. No, there's no butts there. That's a great book. Okay, that's it. So that's like the one example. The one example. The one example. You know, <laughs> they're using the name, of, but uh, but like I say, like I say, I love the Miles Morales Spider-Man. Right. Uh, I love the Riri Williams, uh, you know, Ironheart slash Iron Man character. Yeah. I I like the new stuff they're doing. You just wish that they didn't have to. I just use wish that. Yeah. The- I don't. Uh, you know. I don't need to see Black Panther Junior. Right. You can give me a new character. I'll give it a try. I'll, you know. Yeah. But it's but the, it's it's what I said off the top of this. That's it, it it's not just uh it's not just characters, it's brands. Right. And it's easier for the corporate structure to introduce a version of something familiar as opposed to something new. And that's right, why because this whole this, what this this whole schmoz that we're talking about leads to is saying that, you know, if you want something as a reader, if you want something new, if you want something innovative, if you want something fresh, you want something that's not bogged down in 60 years of canon and continuity and doesn't have to worry about whether it'll sell underoos, then that's where uh, independent comics come in. And that's where things like Kickstarter come in because, you know, Kickstarter is a fabulous tool for helping new products appear and succeed. It would be much more difficult for me to put together Heroes of Homeroom C if I didn't have Kickstarter available to me to, you know, provide half or more of the fun of, of the budget. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, this is not a pat myself on the back thing. I think Heroes of Homeroom C could be an important book just as an entry into the genre and as something different. If you've got a major corporate structure that 
plays at diversity and then turns around and stabs diversity in the back by saying this is why our sales are low. Yeah, yeah, that that was not cool. Then why not find somebody who believes in what they're doing on a non-cynical level and right. support their product? Mm-hmm. So, you know. So where did you get the idea for Heroes of Homeroom C? Walk into the bus. Uh honestly, I had it, this this came to me uh 4 years ago. I had turned in um and well turned in is that that implies there's a higher authority. Uh I had sent the edited the the, the finished scripts for the first volume of the first hero to uh Philip Seavey, who was the artist on volume 1. He's now doing uh Tomb Raider for Dark Horse. But I had sent him those scripts and I thought to myself, well, I got nothing to do now. I better start working on something new. And I had just a couple of months before finished uh, my comic book boot camp course with Ty Templeton. You are like the umpteenth uh, guest that we've had that has mentioned Ty Templeton and how seminal he was. Oh, uh, well, I've known I've known Ty for almost 30 years now, probably 30 years. And when I, I, I wrote Heroes of Homeroom C, he was one of the first, or excuse me, I wrote the first hero. He's one of the first people that got, uh, that I, that I asked to look through it. And, and he gave me some great advice. I ended up rewriting the series. And then I got my publishing deal with Action Lab and took one of his courses. So I already I had a publishing deal in hand sitting in that classroom. There, I am patting yeah. I am patting myself on the back now. <laughs> All right. Um but what Ty taught me in that course made me a better writer. I edited I didn't rewrite, but I edited those first four issues again. I rewrote some of it, but I I it made for a stronger script. So, yeah, Ty gets uh, eternal thanks and gratitude from me. But yeah, I, I had, I had turned in those scripts. I had sent those scripts to Phil. So I was just going to be sitting there for the next four or five months doing nothing if I didn't do something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, on the walk to work one day, I just decided I want to start something new and, um, took one, a, a writing formula that Ty had given me and started plugging in pieces. And and came up with the the basic premise for uh, Homeroom C. What's that formula, basically? Uh, Is that a trade secret? I don't know if it's a trade secret, but I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to cut the legs out from under the guy who taught it to me. That's you know, true. listen. You come to Toronto and sign up for sign up for introduction to writing at Comic Book Boot Camp and uh, and let Ty teach you it to you. You will discover the secrets. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's great. I mean, you know, here's a guy who's been working in the business for a quarter century. Right. So, it's worth listening to him. For sure. And and he did he did wonders for me, so. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, here was a home room seat. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, really. Uh, I know I'm awesome. You know, there's no, there's no <laughs> people who like lose their powers in high school. Usually, it's you're gaining powers yeah. in high school. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I is striving to make a character unique, right? And striving to give them a, a dilemma to uh, to overcome. 
Right. The first hero started off, it was going to be, it, it was an excuse to just create a world of crazy villains. It was, uh, it was originally going to be just all villains and one um, military team that dealt with them. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be, you know, humans against supervillains. And then I came up with the idea of Jake Roth being the one human who gets superpowers but doesn't go insane. So he's unique and he has to deal with, you know, it's 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 him versus the world. It's him versus supervillains. It's him versus the army. It's him versus the cops. It's him versus people on the street. Mm-hmm. It's him versus his family if they find out, right. you know, everybody. Um, with Heroes of Homeroom C, taking a, a, a pair of 12-year-olds. And I, I, I in the back of my head, sometimes I think about, uh, honey, I shrunk the kids for some reason. I don't know why. But um, just, you know, th- this has been the state of their lives since almost birth is all they've really known is an accident with their scientist parents that gave them powers and early on fighting giant monsters and robots and supervillains. Yeah. So at 12, if you know more than half your life, almost all of your memory is capes and powers being a superhero. So now you have that taken away. Do you, are you happy about it? Are you sad about it? Is the start of something new? Is it the end of something fantastic by having twins? I can play both sides of that coin. I like this. I hate this at the same time with what are virtually identical characters. Right. So they have like the twin connection. Yeah. Yeah. They've, you know, they've been together since the womb and now suddenly there's something that's separating them. And how are they dealing with the outside factor and how are they dealing with each other? So yeah. Very meaty, very meaty subject matter. Yeah, I try. It's awesome. I try. So how did your interest in comics start? Like wh- what attracted you to comics initially? Uh, I was a kid and that's what we do. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I've never been asked it quite that way. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really know if there is a why. There just an is, you know. So they I got were there. into. Uh, well, no, I got into comics. You know, I had friends who were into comics, and I didn't really pay much attention to it. But one day, I picked up... The, the first comic I ever bought with my own money was Wolverine Number 1. Okay. So, and the, I just... I tried it, and I was sold. That was, that was it. The, was that the Frank Miller Limited? The Miller Limited? Claremont Limited Series. Nice. Yeah. So, that and I think the next comic I bought was like X-Men 171 or something. Late 160s, early 170s, somewhere around there. And and I was sold. It was, wow, I like this, so I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Was it the medium or was it just the content or both? Let's, let's quote Marshall McLuhan for absolutely no reason. The medium is the message, right? But yeah, it was it was the content. It was heroes and villains and fighting and and just spectacular action. And I I uh, I fell for it. It was hook, line, and sinker. You know. Yeah, which which is interesting to me because nowadays, like people get their superheroes more from 
television and movies than、mm-hmm. they do from comics. But there are things that comics can do that like cinema and television cannot, right? Oh yeah. So, I mean, there are there are、uh, limitations to the medium as far as it's a, it's static images. So you're fighting as an artist. You're fighting. To make a static image move, right?、Um, but as as a writer, there's no limitations as to what you can envision,、mm-hmm. and I mean that barrier breaks down, starts to break down now as、uh, the technology of cinema increases. So I mean, if you look at sections of Doctor Strange, where it's you know. Insane Steve Ditko drawings brought to life. Yeah, you know that's fantastic. That's everything that that artist imagined fifty、uh, years ago, forty, fifty years ago. That they might have said couldn't have been done back then. Yeah, you know. that or you know that that just could not have been rendered for live action, incorporated in the live action. Without looking like absolute crap, and now it's you know it's virtually seamless. Yeah, that barrier starts to break down as technology improves, but still, there's no reason to temper your imagination as a writer. Right, and the things that I think people like about comics is like between the panels, you have to sort of imagine what's happening. Sure, right. So, so comics has this thing where like. You also love the delivery system、mm-hmm. as well as yeah the, what's in it. Yeah, the delivery system is at your speed, and it's and there's still bits and pieces open to interpretation. So yeah, no, it's fantastic. I still I'd love to see stuff I write turned into a TV show or a movie, but、uh, would I even imagine not writing comics and just writing a TV show? Now this is. My preferred form of creation. Nice, nice. So, how did you get into doing comics yourself, like well, professionally? I guess professionally, semi-professionally. As a member of the Stone Cutters, I'm allowed to do. <laughs> I just call over twenty four, and、uh, I had.、Um, I I've wanted to do this since my late teens, which is many moons ago. So I made. Uh, half-assed tries in the early and mid '90s. In the mid '90s, I went to San Diego four years in a row, '93 through '96, hoping to break in as a writer, and didn't know my head from a hole in the ground. I thought just standing there, I'd become a professional writer by osmosis. I didn't know what I didn't know, and gave up on it for many years. And then, about five, six years ago, just decided. That I could feel my brain atrophying at my day job, and just decided I'm going to start writing again, and came up with the premise for the first hero. And、um, one of the things that I had going for me is f- friends that I had made. I mean, I I hung out at the、uh, at the Silver Snail here in Toronto in the throughout the '90s when George Zotti was there, and、um, you know George who went from Employee to manager to、uh, co-owner for for a few years. You know that was I was like I was like Norm at Cheers <laughs> in that place. But the Silver Snail also introduced me to Ty Templeton.
It introduced me to Mark Asquith, who's now a senior producer at Space. Yeah, he's been on this show, if you guys want to check it out. You know, and it introduced me to various uh, artists and the network of friends that was part of that store, part uh, part of that network of friends. And then going to San Diego in 93, the first person I met in San Diego was Lee Motor. Oh. And uh, we became fast friends. And he's still he's one of, you know, he's on my Mount Rushmore to this day. Nice. So when I came up with the premise for the first hero, what, like five years ago, you know, the first person I called was Motor. And I said, hey, I got this idea. What do you think? And you're going to draw it. Yeah. Okay. I like the idea. And okay. And so the ori- I still have them. The original character designs are are. are or by Lee Motor, but Lee got uh, Shinku. Uh, he and Ron Myers got Shinku at Image, and he had to drop off, and I had to go looking for another artist again. But it, it was a really long-winded way of just saying I decided that I wanted to do it again, and if I was going to do it, I was going to do it to its fullest. And the difference between the mid-'90s and the mid-'2000s, or tens excuse me bad math it's 20 years later uh the mid tens teens is that i knew what i didn't know and i knew that there were people that i could ask and you had the network basically and i yeah so you know i i had already reconnected with people like mark and 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 ty and george and so i said to those people here's this thing i'm trying to do what do you think what should i be doing differently and got advice. Those were the first three people and Motor who looked at what I was writing. And those three people, uh, those four people, I should say, were instrumental in me shaping what I was writing. And then I just started. Uh, one of the things I tell kids at conventions all the time uh, is um, if you're sincere and polite, you can ask people questions and most often they'll answer you. So I had uh, friends of friends or acquaintances, people like Jimmy Pomiati and uh, Nathan Edmondson and um, people that I could connect with online mm-hmm. and get advice from about finding a new artist, about pitching, about you know, the business things that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So gradually I was able to grow that base of knowledge by acquiring bits and pieces from other people. And and yeah, if uh, like I say, if you're polite and sincere and you don't monopolize people's time, then people are likely to pick up on your sincerity and and offer you some some help. Cool. So what was the best advice that you that you received? Two pieces of advice that uh, that, that that stick out to me from then were uh, one was Ty offering me some story advice. The way I had written the first hero initially, he said, you're, uh, you're too far along in the story. Go back, tell the story from the beginning. You're missing pieces that you're missing story that you could be telling people. So I, I, I did, and I rewrote it. The other advice was about, uh, after Lee had left the book, uh, to do Shinku was about finding a new artist. And that was, Nathan Edmondson and a few things too much to go into it all at once but again about being polite and sincere 
in contacting people and saying, this is what I, this is what I'm doing and I'm looking for an artist and I'd like to talk to you about it. And if they say no, they say no. You say thank you for responding. And if they say yes, talk to them. Maybe, maybe you can make a deal. Don't think that like someone is sort of too far out of your reach. Yeah. I mean, okay. Now, now let's be honest. There are going to be people out there who are inspired and sincere about wanting to write comics, but they're not going to be any good at it. Right. Okay. And I'm sorry. Yeah. If that is you and you're listening to this, we love you, (laughs) but somebody needs to tell you that you're awful. (laughs) I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, but yeah, you're awful. Uh, no, look, not everybody is going to be good at everything, right? Exactly. And it doesn't mean that you do, it doesn't mean that you're not sincere about it. it. Doesn't mean that you're not earnest about it. That you don't want to try it. Not every not every actor is going to end up in an Oscar winning film, you know. Right. Not every actor is not everybody who wants to act is even going to end up doing regional dinner theater. Some people are just you, you're just not going to. I'd love to be a world champion skateboarder, but you know. <laughs> I'm old and I'm I would break my ass trying it. Right. Okay. So eh, I don't. <laughs> um, some people are going to try and write and they're going to they're going to put all their heart into it, and what they write is still not going to be great. Which is one of the reasons I I recommend Ty's classes because he'll make you better. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up writing for Marvel. It also doesn't mean that you can't keep writing. Yeah. Uh, no one has the secret key, but. Yeah, but sometimes you can keep doing it. some sometimes the thing that you write is just going to just going to find its groove and people are going to get into it. Some people who write somewhere out there there's there's a kid who's written uh, a series of stories that make Shakespeare look like an episode of Two and a Half Men and no one will ever know. Right. No one will ever know. So there's 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 a bit of luck involved in it and there's, you know, but <sighs> Back to the back to the question here. Okay, <laughs> I have a tendency to go off on tangents. No, this is good because it opens me up to more questions that I have. If your writing sucks, <laughs> 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 if your writing sucks, I'm sorry, but I'm just gonna pull a name out of thin air. Okay, just just because Walt Simonson. Right. Okay, you say you you've got a script. You love it. You think it's the best thing ever. You send Walt Simonson an, uh, uh, a a letter and you say, "Hey, if you're not working on anything, I'm looking for an artist for my book." Uh, you know, uh, Johnny Pushover and the and the Candy Kids, whatever your stupid comic is called. Yeah. So, <laughs> and Walt Simonson's gonna gonna take a look at it and say, "Oh, this is awful." I don't want anything to do with this. And he's going to write you a polite letter back and say, I'm sorry, I'm busy with something else. Okay. And you might get that a hundred times. There's probably no way of knowing, right? uh, You know, in your bubble, there's probably no way of knowing whether or not what you're doing is any good. If you're lucky, please God, if you're lucky, you've got a friend or two, or you know a person or two, will be honest with you about what you're doing about your writing and about your the business side of what you're trying to do your professionalism 
the best thing you can have is have that one friend who will look. Can I swear on this show? Yeah. Okay. The best thing that could happen to you is to have the one friend that you can trust, that you can trust, not who's just going to be a dick for the sake of being a dick, but the one friend who will look you in the eye and say, hey, man, this fucking sucks. But doesn't mean you can't stop doing it. Just no, means you have to go back to the drawing listen, board. If you if you enjoy writing, if you enjoy drawing, then continue to write, continue to draw. Now maybe maybe you aren't the next John Romita Jr. whoever. You you're not going to be Brian Michael Bendis or whoever. But you don't stop playing street hockey because you're not going to be in the NHL. Right, exactly. Just but don't play street hockey thinking well, this is my next step to the NHL, right? Right. right. Enjoy it for what it is, man. I'm, I'd be, I'd be a terrible parent. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I'm trying around about. I'm trying I around think it's about a good advice because if you want to be evaluated on a professional level, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you should expect that kind of evaluation. Yeah, and if you can't take it, then don't ask for it. Right. If you can't step back. And look at what you're doing and accept other people's evaluation of it. Because that's exactly what you're attempting to do. If you're trying to get something published, you're trying to put something out there and people are going to say yay or nay to it. Not only are people going to say yay or nay to it, but people who say yay to it are then going to read it and evaluate it even further. So you're going to have people who said, yes, I'll take this, read it and say, I wasted my time reading this. So hopefully you get that golden ratio in there where there's <laughs> there's enough people who like it that they'll tell their friends about it. And those people will like it and so on and so forth. Like, you know, like a shampoo commercial. But yeah, man, one of the best pieces of advice that I can give anybody is learn to accept constructive criticism, especially when you asked for it. And if you can't, then leave people alone. I mean, don't, don't do, do what you're doing for yourself. Don't expect to conquer the world with that attitude. Right, right. Exactly. Oh man, this is, (laughs) you know, the sad thing is, is there's, there's a not so hidden message in this to somebody, and I, I hope he's not mad that I'm saying this on, the, <laughs> on your podcast. He's, he's gonna hear this, and he's gonna say, "Oh man, listen to that guy. He's talking about me, and I'm gonna have to look at him in the eye at a convention and say, "Yeah, I'm talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I still love you. I know you hate me now, but at least I was honest with you. I'm willing to be your villain." Hopefully there aren't loads of people that think who you're talking about is them. No, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. What will happen is when this episode airs is I'm going to send that guy a message and tell him, hey, you should listen to this. I was talking about you. <laughs> All right. All right. That's cool. Just be. I'm being such an asshole. So. No, I'm, I'm, listen. I, I, here. Let me, exp- uh, let me explain it's briefly. Good. Let me, I think yeah. It's, it's no, good. no, no. But let, um, me, let me explain this so that it's not just me sounding like a random asshole. I recently had somebody uh, email me and say, can you take a look at this thing I'm doing and let me know? And I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible. Okay. Because I'm I'm not, I swear I'm not trying to insult this person. But I took a look at what they were doing and I gave them my most honest advice and they didn't take it very well. 
they did not take it. And I knew I, I had a suspicion that, that, that it was not going to be taken well, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant as an, as an insult. And, and it was meant as it was honestly and sincerely meant as you've asked me to evaluate this. This is what I think. This is how you could improve. This is how you could, this is something you could do to turn a loss into a win. I want you to succeed. Right. And they still did not take it well. And so that's been on my mind the last few days. Like so it's your, not a- your part in them not taking it well, maybe you should have, maybe you could, like, are you second guessing yourself? Like, no, you- absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. What everything that I said was, you- was bang on, right. was on target, man. Everything I said was on target. Um, so what's, I don't, I don't even, mind? you know, and I mean, at this point I could say, Oh, I could have said it a little better. There's one thing I said to the guy that could have been said better. And I corrected myself in a, in a response. So, so what's weighing on you about it? What's weighing on me about it is, is the, how do I express this? I'm upset that the person is upset. Okay. I'm bothered that the person is upset. It's not a 24 hour a day preoccupation, but we're talking about comics and, and in my head, I, in this conversation, it runs back to that. Mm. Okay. Suddenly, you know, the tracks start running parallel and I start talking about know your ability. Yeah. Right. But more than anything, I think what bothers me is that I was asked for some advice. I was asked for constructive. I believe I was asked for constructive criticism. I gave it. I gave what I think would be a helpful set of steps to follow. And the person's response was, Hey man, don't tell me I'm not good enough. And it's like, what, what, what I'm trying to help you. And this is what I'm getting. Yeah. That wasn't exactly what you were saying. Yeah. If I'm, sh- if I'm a kid and I'm showing my uh, portfolio to artists at a convention, what advice do you always, do you always get? If you're in that situation, the advice you get is shut up. Listen, try and take on the advice you're being given. You can't ask for help and then don't don't spend your time defending against constructive criticism. If somebody's telling if somebody's looking at something you've drawn and saying, well, the perspective here is wrong or the light here is wrong. Let me show you this, this and this. Don't interrupt them to say, well, I did it this way because. Right. Listen to what they're trying they're trying to help you they're trying to teach you you went to them for advice right sometimes i'm the guy who goes i did it this way because and i think what you're thinking when you're that person is i'm gonna tell them yeah. and they're gonna go oh okay yeah i but see I, I see what you're doing that totally changes my mind about the whole thing that you're that, you, that you're presenting here yeah that's, that's what you're hoping in your in the back of your head oh yeah have. sure sure i've been that guy <laughs> i've been that guy but <laughs> But there's a difference between somebody, uh, another friend of mine asked, well, there's no reason not to say. So a Lee Motor has this thing that he's he's been working on, uh, an idea that he's been writing. And he asked me to look at it. And I read through it. And my response to him wasn't, this is wrong. What's this about? I don't like this. It's My response to him was, this is a bit confusing here. It wasn't that, you know, it's not written well. It's that I wasn't, I wasn't grokking to it Mm. and he explained it to me i was like oh 
okay, that's yeah, I like that. Right. So if 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 somebody asks it, a question, if somebody if somebody at if, if if I'm showing you my portfolio and you say, "What's this right here?" That's your time to explain something. Right, right. And then maybe they needed that piece of information so they could give you better advice. But if I if you say to me, what do you think of this? And my response is, meh, I don't like it. And I explain why not, or I explain what you could do better. Take that on board. It's a, you're, you're, you're a grown man. You can ignore it or not. You can, you can learn from it or not, but man, don't get pissy with me because I tried to help you. Cause you're asking, you're the one who's giving yourself up to, yeah. to criticism. And you can't just snap it back, right? Yeah. Like right away. <laughs> like right I could have going into going into that. I knew that this person wasn't going to take what I was saying well, and I could have chosen to say, "Oh no, what you're doing is fine. It'll find its audience, or you know, you, it'll succeed. Whatever, you're fine. I I don't know what to tell you. Oh, you know, the world is fickle. I could have I could have pawned him off with some." A hollow platitude, mm-hmm. but I didn't because I want the guy to succeed. Right. So there's no reason you were doing the best thing you thought for him. He came to me and he asked me a question politely and sincerely. And I gave him what I thought was my, was the best and most honest answer. Right. And it was met with something just South of F you in response. Right. Okay. Knowing that you sort of had an inkling that he would react badly to what you were saying. If you had said, I don't think I can give you advice on this because I think you're not going to take it the way that I intended you intended to you to take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you wish that you said something like that? Have you ever no. stopped yourself from giving advice to someone because you thought yes. this person isn't going to take what i have to say very well no what i have done is not offered advice to somebody who i don't think who i don't think is smart enough to follow it and that is really pretentious of me to say right that is yeah it's very pretentious of me to say but if you if if i you can't teach people who don't want to learn true okay so i can Argue with somebody who voted for Donald Trump until I'm blue in the face. Will I convince them to vote differently? No. Almost certainly not. So why have that argument? Why anger myself and why frustrate that person and why ruin why ruin an hour? Right. If I see somebody who is so completely convinced of their own ability or so set in their ways that nothing I say will affect them in any way, then what I, my answer will probably be, uh, I don't think you, I, I, I think you're going to do what you want to do. Or I think you're, I think you've, you've got your system. You're, you're, you're good to go. I'll, I'll, I'll politely remove myself from that situation. But in this case, you thought that in this person case, would in this learn. Case, you know what? In this case, I was hoping because this person is honest and sincere. And I keep using those words because they're important to me in the creative process. And, and I think they're, I think they're real. And I think, I think he's a good guy. 
So if no one else is going to step up to the plate, I took it as an opportunity to help somebody, hopefully help somebody. Totally. Man, I wish we'd erase this whole thing. <laughs> but it's good because I think. Yeah, but I, I feel even even not mentioning anybody's name, I feel like I'm picking on somebody and I don't want to because none of, you know, offering the advice was not meant as uh, as, a, you know, as ha ha fuck you. No, 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 for sure. But in a general sense, I see value in it because. I think there's more than one person that needs to hear this kind of thing if they're going to get their portfolio evaluated at a convention. These are things that should be said by comic book professionals that aren't said by them often enough. Yeah. We have a thing in in professional wrestling where you're supposed to... Which I want to get to. I want to get to... You're supposed to to police the business. Yeah. Okay. And I remember I had a match. It was probably about three years ago now. Where I, I hit a kid, I hit a kid with a, uh, a clothesline and like nearly took his head off for for real and had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, was that the get the fuck out of the business clothesline you gave him? <laughs> I like, no, no, no. But there have been moments like that where it's right. like, yeah, yeah, it's tough business. Here, I'm going to teach you with the point of my elbow. So how do you get into professional wrestling and does that have anything to do with comics or is that just a totally different um, separate path? You know what? It's the same, same basic group of friends when I was a kid in Scarborough who, who got me into wrestling, uh, as, as comics. But when I, when I got into wrestling, it was quick, man. It was a lot like comics. It was, um, I paid attention to it that, that for, I, I'd seen it on TV once or twice before that and not really you know it's like okay well sitting here for an afternoon back when it, you know all of saturday afternoon was wrestling uh and not really paid attention to it and then these couple of friends showed me a few things and i was like wow this is amazing and i fell in love with it immediately and um and they're kind of related like it. comics Oh, like, sure. Wrestlers are like comic book superheroes, so I could see a comic fan yeah. being into yeah. being attracted to wrestling. There's a there's a lot of crossover. And as time goes on, more and more crossover between comic book creators who end up in wrestling somehow. Andy Belanger is a great example of that. Uh Andy in, in Montreal, Andy just picked up in his mid or late thirties and said, Nah, I'm gonna start wrestling. I wanna wrestle. And trained, and now he's wrestling. And I was like, ah, I love this guy. He's fantastic. He's (laughs) just a good, hello, Andy. Uh, he's just a good guy. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of crossover. But for me, it was just, I liked it. So I found my way into it. But it's, it's, it's a physical commitment, wrestling. And not everybody who likes wrestling or is a wrestling fan is like, I want to do it. Yeah. So what's that mechanism? Like, I want to take the bumps. I want to learn how to do it. What is it that? That's, that's just how much I liked it. If, if I, if I really, really love something, I want to do it. Porn. Uh, (laughs) 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 Hey, that looks fun. Uh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true, but right. Hey kids, let's keep the show clean. Um, no, when I, when I love something as much as, 
uh, as I love comic books and I love wrestling, you know, it's something I want to try. There are, you know, there are times where I'm uh, like on YouTube, I'm watching there's a, uh, a guy on YouTube, uh, Andrew Ray, Chris Ray, something like that. But if you search for binging with Babish, he does uh, a series of cooking videos where he cre- recreates food from TV and movies. And it's fantastic. Wow. And he goes, he goes really, it's quickly, but he goes step by step. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh man, all right, I got to make a shopping list. I like what he's doing enough. I want to try it. You know, I'm a huge like I cook, yeah, and I like pop culture, so I'm gonna have to. I think I'm gonna have to yeah. get into this. Oh, it's fantastic! He does, <laughs> he does Jake's ultimate sandwich from 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 Adventure Time, wow. and uh, if you've ever seen that episode, there's the ghostly soul of a lobster involved in the recipe. So you know, it's like I'm just how you gonna how you gonna tackle lobster soul? <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it's a great set of videos. Yeah, it's just one of those things. If I if I like it enough, I want to I, I want to try it. You know, I'm that stupid kid who you know if he he saw it on TV and now he's trying to jump a skateboard across Death Gulch, right? Mm. So, uh, <laughs> so when you made the jump and you wanted to like train how to do it, what was like? those first experiences like uh, what did people say to you what was the reaction there, was a, uh, there, there were a few of us you know this little circle of friends and and it was uh a lot of self-taught garbage in the late 80s mm-hmm. and then uh i actually started ring announcing for some local groups uh some actual actual promotions and was lucky enough to get ring time training time in hamilton with a couple of the guys there who spent time working with us and then you know still half-assed poorly taught decided okay well i'm gonna strike out and go out and try and get book places and there were a few years in between where i i I left it behind and then came back to it with a, a a new group of friends a friend of mine who was uh starting his own promotion at the time and knew that I had some experience and brought me in on it. And, um, you know, so I got to work out more and improve and, uh, started trying to get booked in the States and, you know, started doing Detroit and Ohio and Pennsylvania. So, So, I mean, it was a lot of, I, I don't recommend the way I learned how to wrestle the people because it, it was, it was kind of half-assed if somebody tells me they want to learn how to wrestle i'll i'll point them towards a really i'd like the best school or two i can think of um whereas i i i picked it up doing it uh, where should largely. people go it depends on where you are i'm gonna give i'm gonna give the most generic advice i can because you know this is on the internet so it could be listened to anywhere right Look into, you know, start with the promotions in your area. Ask them about schools. If they have their own school, they're going to push their own school on you and nothing else. But don't take the first answer. Look into uh, as many schools as are within your travelable distance and find out who their head trainer is. Find out who he's trained. Uh, Find out where that head trainer has been himself. If you can talk to some people who have been through the school, you know, basically it's, it's real life Yelp. You've got to, uh, you got to do some research and find out whether the school you're thinking about is uh, what their pedigree is. You know, you don't want to end up just handing over a bunch of money to somebody who has 
you know zero clue what the hell they're doing right. you you want somebody with a uh hopefully with a track record uh of their own career and having created people that know what they're doing you know totally so, yeah so you mentioned that you've toured like around the united states a little bit and yeah. canada and stuff is life on the road as a wrestler as bad as people say that it is oh man i i would rather be you know on the road well i'm now maybe not so much i'm aging poorly um but doing two weeks in spain or 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 doing shows in england or or you know car full of you and your idiot friends driving around the midwest u.s is it's great you know it, it's it's fantastic because it's you and your buddies and and uh it's you know it's road trip and then perform and then some cheesy hotel you know motel or staying on somebody's couch or something and 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 on to the next show and if you can if you get good enough that you're getting booked regularly and you're doing two three shows a weekend it's it's just for a long time it'll be really great (laughs) you know what about like i noticed that you have a scar on your eyebrow is that from like Oh, this? Or just on the other side. Oh no, no. This is from this is this is hockey on okay. my twenty first birthday. Okay. I, I destroyed some guy's male modeling career. Okay. Uh with a, just we face to face. I wasn't wearing a helmet, he was playing shinny, and I just we just we were both going he didn't have a visor on. We were both going for the puck and I just destroyed his face. Oh uh, really? Absolutely. <laughs> Spread his nose across his face like cream cheese. Uh, this one above my left eye, that is my retirement match. Okay. That is, that's uh, a garbage can over my head and a steel chair to the garbage can. Whoa. Yeah. So. So how does it feel to get hit by a garbage can and a steel chair? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you describe it? Because I'm sure people have watched wrestling and thought... Does that really hurt or not? Oh crap! Yeah, it's it, it's hard to describe the the chair. That's just you know kind of a blunt force thing. I'm used to that. But uh, a couple a couple of months before my retirement match, I got kicked in the eyeball, like point like the big <laughs> big toe of a shoe right into my eyeball. I might not you know not. Not my, not the orbital bone, my brow, eyeball. Wow. It's just an accident. It's just a thing that happened. I'm getting into the ring. This guy's getting out of the ring. And, you know, so I'm climbing the stairs. I'm climbing the the stairs to the side of the the, the ring. And he's bailing out and just thoom, just boot right in the eye. I'm getting in the ring to cut a promo. So I'm basically, there's video of it, of me, like, just. Ow, fuck, pain. And I just, to get through it, I have to take my right hand and cover my eye just to keep it closed and, uh, you know, alleviate some of the, the, the damage, the pain with a microphone in my left hand screaming at a crowd. Just, you know, it, so it's just the stupidest goddamn thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is nonsense. <laughs> How do you handle like injury and like wear and tear and like those sorts of things? Because uh, it's you can get hurt, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten I've gotten hurt a few times there. I 
busted a, a bone in my, uh, hold on. I got to look at a scar. Uh, yeah. In my right ankle, I busted a bone in my right ankle in the ring. I snapped the insertion point of a muscle in my shoulder at the beginning of a match once and like finished the match and gradually could feel like it was like hydraulic pressure is failing in my arm. I, by the end of the match, I couldn't lift my arm, you know, lots of torn rotator cuffs. I'll, I'll knee this and hip that. And it happens. And you're like, I love this. I still want to keep doing it. Yeah. I still, still kept doing it. Did it for 20 years, man. That's crazy, man. Because I also, you know, like, I I mean, now I'm I'm managing uh, a wrestler named Sebastian Suave for a promotion called Smash Wrestling. Okay. Uh, Smash-wrestling.com. They have an on-demand website so you can see all their shows. Fantastic promotion here in Toronto. Um, So I'm managing there, and I still um, uh, do commentary, live commentary for Alpha One Wrestling in uh, Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, on rare occasions, I still pop up at Super Kicked Wrestling here in Toronto. I still, I still love the business. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm slowing down a bit because takes longer for things to heal and yeah you know every time i screw up my hip it's like yeah i still got a day job to go sit at five nights a week that that makes that harder to do yeah when you injured your arm people must have been like what happened to you yeah thank god it was my left arm so you know i because i'm right-handed but um it was still weeks of shoulder in a sling and looking like a fool you're listening to speech bubble we'll be right back this episode of speech bubble is sponsored by harry tarantula go visit them at 6979 young street for their games nights they've got warhammer they've got star wars miniatures they've got dungeons and dragons and they have board games nights Go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming. So what is the art of like commentating a wrestling match? Is that different than play-by-play for like regular sports? Or? Uh, it really shouldn't be, but sometimes it, you know it can be. Uh, you're telling a story. You you're you're trying to you're you're narrating the story and hopefully adding to the action in the ring. And Do they tell you ahead of time what's going to happen or uh, beats or anything? No, like that? not really. No, I don't. I, I I like to be surprised. If you ever hear me doing commentary. Uh, if I'm surprised by something, it's because I'm surprised by it. I occasionally know bits and pieces, um, but I prefer not to. I prefer, unless it's unless it's something specific that I need to know so that I'm not guessing at it mm. and ruining the reveal. Then, then I like to go in. I like to go in reasonably blind and and uh give my real reaction to to the action that's amazing so and then meanwhile you're also doing comics at the same time as you're wrestling yeah, yeah. And doing all that yeah so how did you get your like how did you get your publisher when you first published uh first hero uh action I, lab i just 
sent out submissions to a bunch of companies. There's, uh, which is harder to do now if you're if you're a writer. I don't I don't think a lot of companies. Do yeah, open well, submissions. as a as a as a writer, you can't just send a script. Right. Don't just send a. As, and again, things that I didn't know in the '90s that I know <laughs> that I know now because somebody told me, "Hey, you're doing this wrong." If you are a writer, find an artist and get six, eight, ten pages of art together. Get your you know. Penciled, inked, colored, lettered. Get your get your comic together, because if I'm a submissions editor, I don't have time to read your script. I don't want to read your script. That's energy I don't want to expend. Hand it to me on a silver platter. Show me what it's going to look like. I'm not here to. I'm not going to read your script and then imagine how great it'll look as art. I, I, I want to see it. It, it, it. You've got to, you've got to spoon feed them. Basically. Because comics are a visual meeting medium. Yeah. The artist does more work than the writer does. So you've only done really half the job. If yeah. you're submitting a script. But the other thing is, it's just, you know, there you, you're busy. Mm-hmm. If you're a submissions editor, you're busy as hell. Mm-hmm. So you, you need it to be almost spoon fed to you. So that you need you need to be able to to look at it and evaluate it in as easy a way as possible. So make it easy for them. Mm. Find an artist, get a sample done. Make sure it's the artist that's going to be working on the project with you. Like I mean, a lot. Uh, occasionally, you'll have something happen where the guy that you were or the the girl I shouldn't let's not be sexist the person that you're working on the sample with has to drop off a project or or or, or whatever and you know you have to find somebody new but don't purposely hire somebody just to do eight pages for you without any intention of keeping them for the other 80 pages right right they they a submissions editor wants to see what the finished product would look like if they published it. The challenging thing for writers, and I, I'm sure a lot of people have this question, is like, if you find an artist, you're working with somebody, I don't like to not pay my yeah. artists for work that they've done, yeah. but I probably don't have money at that st- at that stage of, of the situation. Well, fine. So you better find money. You, you do, just so we clear up the misconception, you should pay your artists yeah. at the point... Not just wait until you get the publishing deal and get the publisher to pay. Well, I, okay, I'll tell I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I've had a couple of projects now, and this was based on advice somebody gave me, and they had said, "Listen, I've never paid an artist for uh, spec pages, so the deal that I was making early on was, look, here's your com- your commitment to me is eight pages, draw you know, or six pages, eight pages, ten pages, eight, just arbitrary number." You draw these eight pages, uh, I'll get them finished, and I'll shop them around. And then this is the deal we'll have if uh, if I can sell it, if I can get a publishing deal and work out what the you know the the the, the whole deal would be. Um, Do you pay them for those eight pages, or well, I, that's the thing? I wasn't okay. What I was doing was I was saying, look, I'm committing to you. I'll sign a deal with you. If this project is a go, you are the artist Mm -hmm. so that this is what you'll get. If this thing gets published. Right. Right. And even then I was dealing on 
percentage deals. I was, uh, I was, I, I was cutting off a bigger slice of the pie for the artist, right? But I was, I was dealing with percentage deals. That's all. I hate that shit now. I'm, I'm kind of mad at myself for doing it that way. Um, Why? That seems like the obvious thing to do. It is. It is. It is, and it isn't. Here's why. It is because who who am I, and what money do I have to do this? But what it was was rose colored glasses. You know, the book will sell this much, and I'll get this much back. You don't know that. No, you can't guarantee that. So if I'm going to retain ownership of my book, then I should be able to uh, to pay an artist something. Even if I make a deal with you that you get X dollars per page plus a percentage afterwards or, you know, whatever. Look, you know, here's here, you know, here's three cows and a horse. Whatever deal you make for me anyways, for me now, I want to pay my artist something, make sure that they get paid. So whether or not the, this project succeeds or fails, my artist is paid something for his work mm. because I could, I could say, I could say, I'm going to give you 105% of whatever I make off publishing, but if no money comes to me, that hundred percent is still zero. Right. So why do I want to do that? And especially now because I'm, I'm self-publishing. Uh, I'm moving to publish everything as, under my own company name, so does that Aristocrats mean that, that First hero is migrating from Action Lab to your own company as well. Yeah, or? yeah. Volume Volume Four. Uh, when there's a Volume Four, I got a, I have a rough outline for it. But when there's a Volume Four, it'll be via Aristocrats Comics. But yeah, I believe, and this this has come from experience. How I did things uh, the last few years was based on uh, somebody's advice to me that I took and it was a great starting point. Right. But as I continue, there's, I, I think I've found a better way and that better way is here's some money. Right. (laughs) You know, you you deliver, you deliver a whack load of pages to me and I go to PayPal and send you cash. Yeah. But I mean, look, if, if it's you and, you know, if it's, if, if you have a personal relationship with somebody that you're, that you're working with, uh, that you're creating a comic, it's you and your friend, maybe money doesn't need to change hands. You work on this because you guys are friends and you have a trust and we're going to, we're in this, we're in, yeah, we're in this together. But for me, it was a matter of. Uh, you know, Carlos Granda, who's drawing Heroes of Homeroom C, was an artist that I met at New York Comic Con who was showing his portfolio around. And we did, uh, we did the first third of, of, of here, the first 22 pages of Heroes of Homeroom C. We did it on spec. He drew them and I paid to have them lettered and colored with the idea that I'm going to shop this around and hopefully we get a series out of it. Um, there was some interest, but it didn't get picked up. So I decided I'm going to follow through on this. And this is going to be the first book from Aristocrats Comics called Carlos and said, 
I want to get back to work on this. I want, I want this to be your full-time pursuit right now. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pay you X amount per page. I'm going to send you money right now for that first third that you've already done. Right. Not getting rich from me, but this is money. This is payment for services rendered. And, uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable now knowing that he's done work and I've paid him for it than I was for, uh, dealing with the first hero thinking this person's done work and why can't I pay them for it? Right. For sure. So, so the, yeah. So when uh, I deal with it, I deal with it on that basis now, now going into something now, if I'm looking for a new artist, if it's something for aristocrats, it's going to be me up front saying, this is what I'll pay you a page. If, if you're good with that, then let's work. And if not, then I move on, find somebody else. Tell me about aristocrats comics. Cause I went to the website and you have a very clear goal as to what you want aristocrats comics to be. And good. What, you've been fooled. What you want to bring <laughs> to the industry. What I want to bring to the industry is, is, uh, is characters is, is a more diverse palette of characters from a more diverse palette of creators. You know, not to say like, okay, look, Lee, you know, Lee motor is white. Fred stressing is white. I'm not going to not work with people. I'm not going to hire people based solely on color. But if I have the opportunity to say Jamal Eigel, Jamar Nicholas, uh, Ray Anthony height, Afua Richardson, uh, Jerry Gaylord. If I have the opportunity to say, Hey, I know these black creators or, you know, Carlos Granda or, you know, Hispanic, or if I, if I know creators of color that I could, I could work with on a book. Yeah. Why not? I mean, because there's such underutilized talent in the industry. Why not seek them out? Right. But at the same time, I've been friends with Lee motor for almost 25 years. Motor and I motor, I think motors an underused talent, absolutely working on stuff with Lee motor. You know, and Fred stressing white, black, yellow, brown, or red. That guy is just fantastic. I don't want to work on stuff without Fred. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's adaptable and he's incredibly skilled. So, you know, that's my in-house guy, but on the, on the character side of things, you know, I keep saying that there weren't a lot of characters that looked like me when I was growing up. So why not create some characters, you know, create some, create good solid black characters that don't need black in their title you know <laughs> uh like black lightning black lightning yeah he's lightning and he's black <laughs> i'm surprised sam wilson isn't black captain america or captain black america uh, taking a stab at marvel i really should oh man so but that relates back you, to marvel. the first part of our conversation and i mean how do you feel about the way that diversity is being manufactured in comics now and what can you do as part of Aristocrats to... What's your vision of diversity in comics as opposed to the big two's vision of diversity in comics? Uh, my vision is that there will just be good stories about characters that aren't 29-year-old white males. Right. 
my uh, uh, here, let me tell you something about Heroes of Harmony. Oh, okay. When I created it, I made the 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 main characters two freckle-faced little white kids because I thought that would be easier to sell to a, to a, to a publisher. This is before I'd ever thought of Aristocrats comics, of creating Aristocrats comics. And there, there are uh, probably 18 people out there who own a copy of an issue one of Heroes of Homeroom C with two freckle-faced little white kids as Albert and Nicola Hathaway. And hopefully that will be worth a lot of money to them someday. <laughs> but in the interim, before Carlos came on, they were going to be black. When Carlos came on, I made them white because I thought it would be easier to sell them to a publisher. After a round of shopping the book around and it getting close, but no cigar as far as a publisher. And especially when I decided, when I when I called Carlos last summer and said, look, I want us to work on this right now. I want us to get back to work on this and finish this as, you know, as, as a graphic novel. I said, one of the things I need you to do, though, I need you to go back into those original 22 pages and you change the faces of the main characters. And he redrew the heads on the on, on Albert and Nicola through 22 pages that we had already finished. Wow. And then Fred recolored them because this is what I want the characters to look like. And if I'm publishing it, I'm publishing it myself. There is no conceivable reason for me to compromise on what those characters look like. How do you feel about the fact that you thought you had to compromise in order to sell it? That's well, bullshit. It's bullshit, and that's why I'm publishing it myself now. Right. It's bullshit that I thought, okay, if I'm shopping that comic around to publishers, I basically have an audience of one person each time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my audience is that small, small handful of submissions editors of uh, of publishers right so i have to think about or i thought i had to think about what will be easiest for them you talk about i talk about spoon feeding them so raise as few red flags as possible and showcase the story and how gorgeous the art is it's so shitty though that like it's absolutely shitty you had to like We've internalized. I didn't have, but here's the thing: I didn't have to. You didn't to. have to. I thought I had to. You thought you had I to. I thought I had to, and I fell for that bullshit myself. Right. You internalized what people feed us in society, sure, to such a degree that like you so bowed to it, kind of. Here's a great. Here's here, here, here's <laughs> here, here's a quick little story for you. I was the first paying customer at the New Hockey Hall of Fame here in Toronto. I make a point of saying I was the first paying customer. Because I was the fifth customer. Okay. What they did is a, f- the, a few months before they opened the new Hockey Hall of Fame, they went to the old hall on the exhibition grounds. On the last day, they found the most photogenic nuclear family they could. Dad was six foot four. Big square jawed mom was this pretty blonde, two kids, the blondest, sweetest kids you could see in your life. It was, it was like, here is your Sears portrait studio, 
uh, this is the picture that you get in the frame. Okay. <laughs> and smiling and nice. They were nice, nice people, but they handpicked what they decided was the most photogenic family they could and said, we'd like you to be the first customers at the new hockey hall of fame and turned it into a photo op. I stayed in that line. And for years I had this and I don't know whatever happened to it for years. I had a hat that they gave me and the receipt for my entrance, my admission that said zero, 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 one as the customer number. Wow. And I kept that. I waited. I was there overnight for, hours, hours, hours. And there were a handful of people. And I just, my cashier managed to be smarter and faster. And I was number one. But they made you pay. Well, yeah, I was. And that's why I say I was the first paying customer. But they picked a family from, I think they were from Kitchener, maybe. Yeah. To come in to be their photo op. I know. First entrance into the new Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. That was a marketing decision that was made by somebody. Let's handpick our first people. Let's not take any chances. Let's handpick the first customers. And they did. Would it have been any worse for them if I were the first paying, if I'm the first paying customer and they ask me, hey, uh, you know, what? Brings you down to the Hockey Hall of Fame. You st- stayed in line all night. Well, blah, blah, blah. And ask me a couple of questions. No, they'd have gotten a great story out of me. I love the Hockey Hall of Fame so much that I, you know, I I said, I'm going to come down here. I want to be first. I really, I, I feel it in my bones. I want to be first to see what they, what the hall has, uh, is now what they've done. So marketing decisions. Well, F marketing decisions, man. I'm creating a comic book. I'm creating a comic book. I'm creating it with all my heart. This is the story I want to tell. Should I change my story? Do I really need to change my characters? No, I don't. I need to create something. And if people find it and like it, great. And if not, well, then I've created something I believe in. And I'm still proud of it. And it's it's from your heart. It's it's yeah. honest. It's yeah. who you are. And and I'll work to find an audience for that book. I'll work to get an audience to that book. And if it f- if it resonates with people, amazing. And if not, you know, I'm gonna write the next thing. I mean, I mean, it's 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 diversity by honest means, not mm-hmm. diversity as marketing decision. Yeah, like you're saying. Yeah. Whereas Marvel DC, it's sort of like, Marketing oh, you want diversity? We'll give you diversity. But we marry it with an existing brand. Right. Right. So there you go. So the only thing that we haven't talked about that I want to talk about, and maybe this will be like the last thing. Hmm. You're a person who can tell me about the experience of a Kickstarter failing and you starting again. Yeah. What... How did that feel? And like, we're talking about marketing Crap. decisions. Felt and did horrible. you think maybe people aren't as into your comic as you thought? No, 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 no. Didn't take it personally. Didn't take it personally. I was overreaching. My, the, the, 
the Kickstarter that's the, that's ending today for Heroes of Homeroom C is the second version of that Kickstarter. And the first version ran during the month of February. And I overreached. I asked for 15000 Canadian. And that would have paid for every single thing to do with the comic. Art, printing, rewards, shipping, Kickstarter fees, you know, yada, yada, yada. Maybe a, maybe a couple of bucks left over for a, a new banner for conventions. If it did really well, maybe, you know, uh, uh, maybe a half page ad and diamond previews, like maybe a Caribbean cruise, <laughs> you know, just everything would have paid for everything. But I haven't built that audience yet. And that's the thing. Being able to step back and look at yourself. I had not, I, I, my previous Kickstarters were funded $4,000, $5,000 by under a hundred people. Okay. So I was now going to ask for three times the money. It was, it, 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 it meant needing more than three times the people. Mm. So where was that audience coming from? Where that dedicated, loyal Anthony Redgazer is publishing something. Let's throw our wallets at it. Where was that number of people coming from? I didn't have that number of people. I wasn't connected to that number of people. Did you now, think you were? Uh, I thought that I could be. I thought that during the course of the Kickstarter, I could connect with that number of people. I thought that I could roll a snowball downhill and it would build into something. That's not the way to do it. That's absolutely. And I got taught a valuable lesson. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to build the audience first. Now, the reason I was able to 181 people backed the first Kickstarter. And that's an incredible number, especially for the, um, the amount of work I should have done better going into it, uh, to, to be able to reach, I, I, I'm surprised that I got 181 people who backed it. I'm, uh, you know, cause it, it wasn't all people I know. It, there was a lot of people, just random people who heard about the Kickstarter or, you know, saw the press that I was able to do for the, the first one and made a pledge. So I succeeded to a degree by accident the first time. Uh, so coming into the second Kick, the second version of the Kickstarter, the advantage I had was that I already had a number of people who knew about the project and were willing to support it. So what I had to do was temper my hopes and expectations, and I drastically reduced the amount of money that I was asking for, just realizing I have to get more skin in the game myself. So... But don't you already have a little bit of an audience from like First Hero and sure. the other things that you've done? A little bit. I have a little bit of an audience from the First Hero. I have a little bit of a, a loyal audience from wrestling. And then I have friends who, you know, could recommend the book to their loyal audiences and parts of their loyal audiences would say, Hey, I trust this guy with his publications. I'm going to take a look at what he's recommending. And you know, some of them came on board. So, you know, that's not 181 people altogether. Yeah. Okay. But, but for the the first time around, I needed over 300 and I only got 181. Right. Right. But you were saying that that's, that was like by accident for the most part that you got 181 people. I argue that it's not that you've actually built, you've actually built that. eh, Well, 
Yeah, but I'm, let's put it like this. I'm not going to give myself credit for doing great things for a thing that failed. Okay. Okay. Redoing the Kickstarter, there were things I learned from the failure that, that I was able to change. And I mean, if you don't learn from your mistakes, then you're just going to repeat them, right? And that's the theme of this episode. Yes. Uh, and I mean, look, still, even, even still, I, I have about the same number of, of, uh, of people backing the, the, the new Kickstarter. How many people dropped off? How many people supported the first one and didn't come back? Uh, about 90. Okay. Uh, and I'm still hoping now we're recording this early. Right. So I'm still hoping in the, in the intervening the few days that more of those people will come back. I'll get close to that original 180 people, but I've had new people obviously come on board and I'm about, I'm, a, I'm at about the same level, but by, uh, reducing the ask by smartly reducing the ask, I now have a successful Kickstarter project because I was able better able to gauge my audience and uh, what the project could earn. Right. Do you recommend people trying Kickstarter just to see what they're, what they're up with their audience? Uh, no, to just no, don't, don't take a, don't, don't mm-hmm. take a flyer on Kickstarter just cause I mean, go to Kickstarter when you have a project and you can finish it and you need help financially, you need some help financially, or, you know, you have a project it's finished and now you want to publish it on more solid ground. Right. Like, I mean, if I've got a finished book why why just print it out of pocket and hope to sell it you know at shows and conventions and blah 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 when you have kickstarter which in some ways is a concentrated marketplace people are going to be going there looking for new things, things and you can basically do a pre-sale on your on your project as more and more people learn about kickstarter it's an easier way to guide people to your new thing mm-hmm. right and and that's how you gauge your audience, right? You've you've got it. You know how much it'll take to you know, how much it'll cost to produce it, and then set your set your goal. And if it climbs above that goal, you make more of it for those extra people. That's right. great. But you know you've you've got your minimum and whatever you're comfortable with. And but don't just. Are you com- from experience? Don't get crazy with the amount you're asking. Yeah, yeah. Are you comfortable with having to cover more of the book yourself a little bit? Sure. Mm. You know, do I wish I had gotten fifteen grand right off the bat and I, just, uh, you know, <laughs> rich uncle Pennybags uh, strolling down Atlanta Baltic Avenue in, in 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 Atlantic City, just throwing money at every second place beauty contestant winner. This is all a Monopoly uh, <laughs> reference, folks. Monopoly. It's a game. It's a board game. You know, board games. You're hipsters. Uh, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> Get out of jail free cards and 50 bucks for anyways, enough of monopoly. Um, here's the thing. If I had made the 15 grand the first time around, um, and part of that was as I, as I made a couple of outside deals with people to, to help bolster that amount. So, uh, and I, I didn't make those deals this time around because it was like, this, I'm, I'm 
I'm artificially inflating it. Right. And, and that's, that's not, that's, that's not smart in the long run because it's not a good gauge. It's not, it's not a, a, a true gauge of, of my audience. But if I'd gotten that money the first time around, I wouldn't have learned as much. Right. And then if I went to do the next project and I don't have the extra money from a couple outside deals, I would have failed that time. So let's learn the lesson now. Right, right. You know, let's learn the lesson now and be smarter moving forward. Well, I'm glad, man. I'm glad you're you're taking your own advice. So am I, man. And uh, that's awesome because you can give it and dish it out at the same time. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> not always great at taking my own advice, but this time I was and, and it's working out and, uh, and go to heroesofhomeroomc.com because you got a few hours left when this this episode gets published. And yeah, definitely. Th- throw your money on the pile. <laughs> you should. And when you donate, you also might want to track uh, Anthony down and see what else he's doing. Yeah. So where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me in a variety of your uh, popular social media spots. Um on uh, Facebook, you can look for Aristocrats Comics or for uh, Heroes of Homeroom C. On Twitter, you can find me at Aristocrats CMX because comics wouldn't fit. Uh, Aristocrats CMX on Twitter. On Instagram, uh, Aristocrats Comics. On Tumblr, Aristocrats Comics. And, um, and of course, the website, AristocratsComics.com. That's awesome. So what do you do tomorrow since this is the last day? What, what is I do the tomorrow? future of, uh, What do I do tomorrow? Heroes of Homeroom C. I, uh, I relax. May 5th is, is Cinco de Mayo is relaxed. I don't drink, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, no, uh, honestly, um, um, moving through the month of May, we're finishing the book. As I, as we record this, still at the end of April, uh, I'm pulling back the curtain here. It's okay. Um, I just, this morning I received page 51 from Carlos of a 76 page book. So 25 to go. He's in the third, he's in the third act of the book. So 25 pages to go. Uh, by the time this is published, hopefully that'll be, you know, the 20. Carlos should be done by the end of May. I'm hoping Fred is done by the end of, uh, before the end of June, there is a very, very, very slight chance of uh, doing a soft release for the book for uh, July 7th at Montreal Comic-Con. But the guaranteed date for the book is actually uh, August 31st, uh, Fan Expo Canada. Nice. Um, so it depends on how long uh, coloring and, and lettering and, and production takes because i mean we're still we're still learning that uh we did the uh the volume three uh trade paperback for the first hero and our printer had to had to help us a bunch on getting our specs together for the pages so hopefully we're learning that this time and it'll be an easier go of it but yeah at the very latest uh that opening day of fan expo canada is when the book will be published so until then it's just working on shepherding it through production and then i've got stuff that i should be writing new stuff that i should be writing and uh uh hopefully get to work on that because i want to i want to get to a place where we're doing at least 
where I'm doing at least two graphic novels a year. Wow. Which is you're like the Louis C.K. of comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 the equivalent of seven to eight single issues. Yeah. Because uh, here's a homeroom C was it's basically three oversized issues. It's uh, a 26, a 24, and a 26 page. All those three issues put together, and we're just you know I'm not gonna not gonna sell it four times three separate issues and then a, a trade paperback just doing it as a graphic novel but it's it's the equivalent of doing two trade paper or doing two graphic novels for me would be the equivalent of doing depending on the size of the story would be you know seven eight possibly nine issues a year uh which is that's that's a pretty full schedule this early on so uh you know including time for promoting running and then fulfilling a kickstarter to a year would be good and i'd like to build it to the point where i'm not i'm not hoping to reach 200 250 backers where you know i'm i'm getting to 400 and 500 backers on each project and a 15,000 or a 20,000 dollar uh kickstarter total is you know the standard so yeah cool good man well i feel like i've been in homeroom c for all the things that you've been teaching <laughs> me over here and uh, i really thank you for coming in i hope it was no. a good thing for you it was, it was good it was good i know i'm gonna get there's a couple of, i'm gonna get a couple of phone calls after this or a couple of <laughs> facebook messages saying hey were you talking about so and so yeah <laughs> well don't invite it because i'm not oh well, i'm not <laughs> listen look, look i uh i i joke about i'm willing to be the villain but if i th- if i think there's if I think there's something constructive that I can say, something that I honestly think not being a dick will help you, then, you know, I'm going to say it. Right. Because there's absolutely no reason for, there, there, there's very little reason for me to not want to help people that I consider, you know, especially friends, but, you know, at least good acquaintances. <sighs> Cool. So, meh, so hopefully, hopefully, uh, it's taken as intended. Hopefully, it's taken as intended. If it's not, ah, well, you know, yeah, go fuck yourself. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, on that note, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.